Listen, but like she gave off the energy from Jump that Marina had hoes in different area codes. Like I was actually waiting for it. <laughs> well, Jenny did not pick up what she was putting down. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is a podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hate, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer over on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Today we'll be discussing one of the most truly groundbreaking and provocative series in television history, The L Word. This American-Canadian drama follows a group of lesbian friends living in Los Angeles and all of the lovers they keep and the exes they lose along the way. The L Word was, was the first series to ever star an entire principal cast of queer women and center lesbian and bisexual women's experiences within the queer community. Although this series sparked a lot of controversy, The L Word was television gold. So what do we think made this show so intriguing? Stay tuned. Here are some critical details about The L Word. The series is a drama, and it was created by Eileen Chaikin, Michelle Abbott, and Kathy Greenberg. It was released from January 18th, 2004 through March 8th, 2009 on the Showtime Network for a total of six seasons and 70 episodes. The show stars Jennifer Beals as Bette Porter. She is initially the director of the California Arts Center, later the dean of California University School of the Arts, and then the co-owner uh, and partner of Wentworth Porter Art Gallery. Laurel Holloman as Tina Kennard. She is initially a stay-at-home girlfriend. Then she is the chief development executive for Peabody Shaolin Film Studios. Pam Greer as Kit Porter. She is Bette's older half-sister, a former recording artist and owner of The Planet, which is initially a coffee shop and later a nightclub. Catherine Moaning as Shane McCutcheon. She is a hairdresser, briefly a model, and then later the owner of Wax by Shane Hair Salon. Mia Kirshner as Jennifer Schechter, a.k.a. Jenny Schechter. She is a writer who moonlights throughout the series as a waitress, a grocery clerk, a stripper, and a movie director. Leisha Haley as Alice Piazeki. She is a journalist and radio host personality, and um, she, uh, she hosts a show called The Look, and she is the only member of the principal cast who openly identifies as bisexual. These people are the people that we're going to see for the duration of the series, seasons one through six. 
The series also stars in this first half Aaron Daniels as Dana Fairbanks. She is a pro tennis player that we um, see as a main cast member in seasons one through three. Uh, Rachel Shelley as Helena Peabody. She's originally the director of the Peabody Foundation, and we see her in seasons two through six. Daniela C. as Moira, later Max Sweeney. Uh, um, Max is a computer programmer, a transgender man, and he also uh, identifies um, later as bisexual. We see Max in seasons three through six. Sarah Shahai as Carmen de la Pica Morales. She is a DJ and sound engineer. We see her in seasons two through three. Dallas Roberts as Angridge, uh, Angridge Patridge, uh, Kit's employee and later love interest. He is a straight white male. Uh, seasons three through six and then as a guest character or seasons three through four and a guest character in season six. Uh, Karina Lombard as Marina Ferrer. She is an Italian countess and the original owner of the planet. We see her in season one and then as a guest in season four. Eric Mabus as Tim Haspel. He is originally Jenny's fiance and he's a woman's college swim team assistant coach. Another straight white male. He is a main character in season one, a guest in seasons two, three, and six. Eric Lively as Mark Weiland. Uh, he is a um, videographer, another straight white man, and he is Jenny and Shane's roommate in season two. And so that is our very last character that we're going to see in this very first half of The L Word, the first three seasons. Uh, and yes, that Eric Lively is brother to Blake Lively. <laughs> Shout out to the lively kids. <laughs> they just be acting, all of them just be acting. Um, but yeah, let's talk about these these first three seasons of the L Word. Um, the series started off um, in a bang, so I'm gonna say this for all the LA natives out there and all of the LA's current inhabitants. We know that the show is set in LA, but the show is not filmed in LA. This is so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's so obvious that it's being filmed elsewhere. It's filmed in Canada, you guys, Vancouver. Mm. Um, now that, that we've addressed that elephant, let's not discuss it anymore. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Season one, 13 episodes. Um, let's get into it. Um, we meet Jenny. She's just moved to LA with her fiance, um, Tim. And they move next door to Bet and Tina, who are have are in you know this long term relationship. They've been dating for several years now, and through Bet and Tina, we meet this other array of uh, lesbian and bisexual gal pals, um, who for some of them are also former lovers. And this Jenny character, this girl from the Midwest, who's you know you know, trying to get her writing career off the ground is exposed to this whole new world and has a sexual awakening of sorts. Yeah. She, yeah, she's like, you know, she is coming into her, I guess her, her, the, the truest expression, expression of her sexuality. Right. Right. So very early on, we see that Tim is a nice guy. 
he's loyal. He's in, I mean, and his loyalty is tested every day because the women that he works with at the college, a few of them are like throwing themselves at him. He's loyal. He's faithful. He's kind. He's attentive, but he's a guy. And the moment that Jenny meets Marina, she's like, Tim, who? (laughs) (laughs) And like, Tim, who? To to Jenny's credit, Marina definitely has like that energy. Like she's she sounds she's like an Eastern European white. Yeah, uh, she's uh, Italian. Yeah. Oh, never mind. So like she's Italian. She dresses really like she dresses like in a feminine way, but she's listen. Marina just has like an energy <laughs> like that, and um, but like. And it's, like, a very, like, dominant, but, like, feminine, but, like, enrapturing energy. And, like, I, I understand. That's all I'm saying. I understand. I, I call it. it Italian seductress energy. Like, Monica Bellucci has this energy. Sophia she Loren does. has this energy. Yes. Like, it's the same energy. It's, like, when when a gorgeous Italian woman wants you, there's really nothing you can do. But nothing you can it. do. <laughs> you just got to go with it. Just go with it. Like, it's a Mediterranean mystique. Um, (laughs) um, Karina Lombard is actually half the reason why I started watching The L Word, because I really thought that her character would be present for the duration. And it actually really hurt me that she left after season one for the most part. Um, But Karina Lombard and Catherine Moaning are why I started watching The L Word. Because I had, like, a platonic crush on Catherine Moaning Monique back when I was in like ninth grade um she did a summer series which was like a mini spinoff of Dawson's Creek called Young Americans and she played a character called Jack she and Ian Somerhalder were like a couple on that show and I thought she was like the most fascinating person I didn't really care about anybody in the cast. I didn't, I barely even recognized anybody in the cast. But I started watching The L Word for Catherine Modig and Karina Lombard. Karina Lombard was in one of my favorite indie films called White Sargazzo Sea. That same seductress en- energy throughout. But she was like 15, 20 years younger. Can you imagine? Right? <laughs> A young Karina Lombard trying to be with you. Um, but they were the reason why I watched this show. Like, there's something very enrapturing about her. I, I can't even fault Jenny for wanting to be with Marina. I only hold it against her how she really kind of played Tim Dirty and played him for a fool. Because literally everybody knew that she was with Marina except for her fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> Like, everybody knew. Everybody saw the energy. Everybody's eyes were always on them. And there was even a time where there's a scene in a bathroom in season one where she's like, Marina, what are you doing to me? Right. (laughs) Like, what are you doing to me? I don't know what you're doing, but, like, I can't do this. Um, And then she she would get dressed up for, like, Marina's book club. (laughs) Book club. Um... Like looking hot as hell. Um, nobody, nobody looks like this, like this for book club. But um, you know, Tim was basically like um, a casualty of Jim of Jenny's sexual awakening. Like, there's no other way to put it. There, yeah, um, it it's it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about when like watching um, the like sort of I guess the del- disillusion of like their relationship. 
in 2021, they would, like, this whole scene would play, like, the whole storyline would play out so differently. Like, you'd pro- it would probably end up being, like, um, when, once, like, Jenny starts, ha- like, getting with Marina, like, then they do, like, a whole, like, whole tearful thing of, like, Jenny goes to him, she's like, what about, like, an open relationship? Can we just, like... <laughs> And I kind of appreciated that, like, that didn't happen here, that it was just like, no, it's over. Like, he, it was a betrayal of, like, their relationship. It was, it was, like, not, it's not it. It's not where he's at. It's just done. I really appreciated that, too, because a lot of men, and I'm I'm assuming a lot of the men, men who ended up watching the L word, they view lesbians as, like, almost not real, like yes. something that exists for male gratification. Mm-hmm. They don't really acknowledge the sex between lesbians is real, that emotional ties between lesbians are real. And it's basically every time they see a couple, um, a lesbian couple, they they just ask themselves, you know, where do I fit into the situation? Like that situation needs of them. <laughs> right, right. And uh and and yeah, and that's another thing I really appreciated about about their their breakup like once he discovers the affair like he takes it really seriously right like he takes it very seriously he's very upset and you know jenny's doing the whole apology tour thing but he pretty much has the same reaction that i think he would have with a man i think the only difference is he probably hit it hit the person if it was a guy and he doesn't do that with marina but like the hostility is on 10 right it's the same sort of hostility that like like you like that you know someone like him would have like if you find out your your fiance was cheating on you <laughs> right 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 and you know they try to like make up for it in like the worst possible way like a quickie marriage is going to solve things so these kids are like married for like 12 hours before they both realize they made a horrible mistake <laughs> and she hitches a ride back to town and that's the end of that that relationship um it's super interesting to see how that played out um because this whole time we're thinking marina has nothing to lose and then we find out that marina has a husband and a girlfriend listen but like she gave off the energy from jump that marina had hoes in different area codes like i was actually waiting for it (laughs) well jenny did not pick up what she was putting down um so we find out that she's like an Italian countess. She's literally married to a count. She's got money, more money than she knows what to do with. Her husband is aware of this situation of her like being gay and he's cool with it. And he's basically like a very, very wealthy beard. And she's got this, uh, uh, you know, girlfriend who lives with her, um, who basically fills in the role of a wife. Right. Right. And it's very possessive and all this stuff. And Jenny's like, wait, 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 wait. You got all these people. I thought I was the one. She's very upset and uh, like literally never forgives Marina for this. And I was like, (laughs) and it's kind of funny because (laughs) so I don't mean to laugh. I just I'm laughing at like you guys. The situation's not funny. I'm laughing at like the mess, the drama. Like it's so messy. Like, um, it's like, and it's such an injury because, because uh, Marina is hardcore. Like when Mar- when Marina's like explaining to Jenny about these other people, she's like, "Oh well, you know, baby, you can be my third. Like <laughs> Jenny is like, "Excuse you? 
Like what? Right. Third time where she was like, "Listen, I'll leave my girlfriend, but I can't really leave my husband because that's gonna look bad." And then Jenny's like, it's all or nothing, Marina. Um, so that happened. Their relationship was super, super messy. Um, but the chemistry was undeniable. The scenes between Jenny and Marina were electric. I mean, yeah. And, like, that, they were. But, uh, but also it's like, like I said, Marina is just one of those people that I feel like in the act. And shout out to this actress. She's also one of these. There's, like, a certain class of actor that you watch them and they could have chemistry and you realize like they could have chemistry with like a brick wall. Like it doesn't matter. Like Mm -hmm. they're just that, that actor is just that good at sort of doing that type of thing. And this actress who plays Marina is like, what is in that class? Right. Right. Um, If you guys don't believe us, go watch legends of the fall where she plays like a completely different character. She plays a native American woman and, um, who's literally the antithesis of seductress, but there's something so compelling about her. Like you, like, um, Brad Pitt's character is like deeply in love with her and you, you it's undeniable. Like even with just like existing, just existing, she has such, such great magnetism. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things. So let's talk about, um, like bet and her and that drama. That drama was, was amazing because I think one of the 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 things about it, you know, I, I was really hard on Jenny. I'm still kind of going to be hard on Jenny for the whole Tim situation. But um, Jenny wasn't just fighting these feelings for Marina because she's in a relationship. She's also fighting these feelings because she's never been with a woman before. There's a lot going on internally. But um, the, the show makes it very clear. This is actually what Jenny needed to become a better writer. Right. Yeah, she she takes this experiences and she, and she uses it, right? Right, and her writing just kind of takes off in it because she always had a good style, but never really a great voice. Um, you know, her her all of her work was kind of lacking in lived ex, in lived experience, and it also like when she goes on this self self exploration journey, she also like uncovers a lot of like. Uh, buried trauma from her childhood that also makes her work really good. Um, so, you know, the Jenny character evolves uh, artistically in a great way on the show. But as like a person, once, you know, she ends things with Marina, her life just gets like her, her, her personality, her character shifts drastically. Like she just stops being a nice person. Right. <sighs> Um, good girl, dead and gone. So let's talk about Bet and Tina, like the major couple of the L word. <laughs> yes, child, this this mess. This oof. oof, oof. So Bet and Tina are this cute little LA couple. And you know, we we're talking before the recording about Bet's pedigree. Bet has a great pedigree. Her father is like one of those talented 10th blocks. She's got a white mom. We don't know what happened to her mom. Um, or I don't remember what happened to her mom, but she went to the best schools all her life. She is, uh, she is a, uh, director at an art museum when we open, she's very well respected in the community. She's beautiful. 
um, she's connected and she's got this girlfriend, Tina. Now, Tina was connected at one point too, but she's been with Bet for several years. And over those years, she was basically talked into being a stay-at-home girlfriend. Um, right. And basically just gave up her career to make a home for her and Bet. So, spoiler alert, Bet is literally every straight man in a woman's body. She's she really is, though. <laughs> she wants so much domestic labor, emotional labor, and personal sacrifice from her partners um, while she's doing dirt in these streets. <laughs> and I hated it. I You hate to see it, but it is I what it is. It. I hate it so much, but that's exactly what it is. And it just even the, the manipulations and machinations were so much. So when we come into season one, they're trying to have a baby. And by they, I mean Tina. She wants Tina <laughs> to have a baby for the couple. Um, that she would then adopt so that they would both be legally that child's mother. Um, but of course, she's not going to put her body through that. You know, Tina is, you know, the little woman, the little kept wife or the little kept girlfriend. So that's what they plan to do. And in trying to have a baby together, basically everything that's toxic in their relationship gets exposed. Uh, Tina's casual racism. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because um, Tina, like, really hard, like, with her whole chest, is like, I don't want any black children. Like, I don't, they can't even be half black. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Right. Because a donor that Bet found was a black man. And her reasoning makes perfect sense. If we're gonna, both going to be mother to this child, I want a child that, you know, looks like me, um, especially if you're going to be the birth mother. Right. right. Like, Tina's already going to be the mother, point blank, period. Um, but Bet's like, well, I'm only going to be the adoptive mother. I would like the child to look somewhat like me because Bet is biracial. And um, Tina's like, okay, but like you're the right type of black. Yeah, <laughs> she's I don't like, know what this child is going to be. <laughs> right. She's like, I can't control for like the skin color and the, the hair situation. So, like, yeah, no. Features, like, what are we working with? Like, how <laughs> wide is their nose going to be, really? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it exposes like Tina's, um, uh, casual racism. It exposes like, um, Bet's controlling and entitlement issues for the duration of the relationship. We really see that she's a shot caller and she does it in such a way that I'm sure for many years seemed caring, but you know, during this pregnancy situation, it's revealed to Tina and the audience as controlling behavior. Right. Exactly. I agree uh, with that. It's it's really controlling. It's really messy. And the relationship actually starts to fall apart. Um, not because of of anything Tina does, because Bet knows, racism aside, it's gonna be hard for her to find a girl like Tina <laughs> who's got it all but is willing to put it all on hold for her. Right. Um, like the only type of woman that's gonna be wanna be in Tina's place is the woman who probably doesn't have anything going on for herself, right? who wants to be kept. Um, but it ends up being that their relationship uh, crumbles uh, initially because uh, Bet's cheating. Bet's cheating on Tina. And that becomes the star that breaks the camel's back because she put Tina through a lot, you guys, that she Tina forgave. She really put Tina through a lot. And then this was the star that broke the camel's back because you're asking all of this of a person. Um and, you know, she's kind of a workaholic, too. So sometimes she misses dinners and Tina's eating dinner in the house alone. Like some real 1960s housewife shit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then this is how you're going to play her. Um, so 
their relationship is on the rocks in season one. Like, even the way the relationship started, and we get flashbacks to that, it's kind of wild. Because Tina had been dating Alice, a close friend of theirs, for a couple of months. She meets Tina, who at this point was identifying as a straight woman and had never been with a woman before. There's instant chemistry, and they both cheat on their partners with each other. Right. Alice is a real one for still being friends with with Bet and making friends with Tina after that situation. Because I don't care if it's a few years or a few months. Um, <laughs> we can't be friends if you cheated on me, sweetie. Right? She Alice really does like take the the high road. That, that's the real high shit. Road, the high road. Alice is like another central character. Um, she doesn't really have a main love interest until season four, like the back half of the series. Um, but she does have, you know, people that she's fixated on. Um, she's a loudmouth. She's considered the gossip of the group. Alice is not a mean or petty or spiteful person whatsoever, though. She's not going to put anything out there that's going to hurt anyone's relationship or career. But she's kind of like... Um, She's kind of like uh, the 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 lesbian archivist. She keeps track of everyone's relationships. <laughs> right. When and listen, that's an that's an important role. Right. You got to know like who's dipping in who and what and where. Um. So she knows like all the lesbians and bisexuals in the LA area. She keeps a careful calendar of who they dated, when they dated them, um, that type of situation. And there's literally no degrees of separation, by the way. <laughs> everybody's dated everybody <laughs> everybody's right. dated everybody um and it's really cool she has this really cool radio show and the la- i guess the last central well the last two central characters of this first half would be shane and dana who are alice's friends who then become uh bet and tina and later jenny's friends and that is shane and dana dana's a professional tennis player and she's Alice's very best friend. And Shane is this hairdresser who's kind of like gives a lot of waif energy. And that's because she kind of is like she's kind of floated from place to place her entire life. Doesn't really have much family, doesn't really have any roots. And just is one of those people that just kind of ended up in L.A. <laughs> right. Um, and has a very striking resemblance to Kristen Stewart. Yeah, yeah, you know they they look so much alike, and they even have the same posture. You know, right? You yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, oh wow, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, listen, Catherine Modig crawled so that Kristen Stewart could run. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting on that because if she had never come out, she would have been that it girl. Now, Kristen Stewart, she played her she played her hand correctly. She waited until her star had risen, and then she's like, "Oh, by the way, I'm bisexual. Thanks for thanks for coming to my TED talk." <laughs> Right, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. And then started dating, like, the who's who of, like, lesbians and bisexuals in Hollywood and just, like, making a, a general brand for herself as, like, the bad girl lesbian. Um, she, when she's with women, is so much better. <laughs> it is. It's so much better. Like, I mean, I'm not mad at it. Like, it was the right decision. Like, um, like uh, oh, my gosh, the girl who's a tennis player who then decides to be, like, gay Anna Kornikova. Oh, oh, Dana? Yes, Dana. We love Dana. Um, I didn't love Dana later on because I think, like, Dana did Alice real dirty and she did her other girlfriend really dirty. But Dana's, a, Dana's an interesting character because when we meet Dana, 
she and her doubles partner, a gay man, are working as each other's beards. It is <laughs> 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 like, I'll be your beard, you be mine. And so they pretty much let the, the paparazzi run with the rumor that they're in a relationship to cover the fact that they're both gay. Which, right. I mean, it works. Listen, I'm I'm not anti-beard. As long as your beard knows they're a beard, I'm all for it. <laughs> like, like, don't make me a beard if I thought I was a toupee. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if I know I'm a beard, I'm going to play my position. Listen, just like M, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I. <laughs> Humpback, humpback. I, I can't wait for that show to come back. I can't. I literally cannot wait for P-Valley to come back. But honestly, I feel like this will probably be the healthiest relationship Mississippi has ever had. <laughs> like, high key. High key. Um, but yeah, Dana um, eventually comes out. Um, does she come out this season, season one? She does. Because, like, then, because, like I said, like, her agent, her agent is, like, you can't tell anybody that you're gay. Like we have, she's like you, you, in order for you to like be successful. And she has that. And then she really has a horrible breakup. And then the other, and then the marketing guy from the, the endorsement that she had just signed is like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to market you as like gay and a cornucova. And she's like, yes, yes. Right. And you know what? You need a team that's really going to let you be who you are. Because once she came out, her shit blew up. Her shit blew up. Yeah, she was hot. Like, and then, yeah, it was like, it's interesting. Um, I actually really love that whole plot line. Because that whole plot is so interesting. Um, And I think it's still so relevant today. um, Right? Because you you still have actors and athletes and public figures who really agonize about um, being out or not, like, and what that's going to do to their career and, like, if they know how to mark. And, you know, it's like you said, it's all about your team because I think some people market it really well and have per- and have great careers, all like Kristen Stewart, right? Kristen Stewart works a bunch and she's in a bunch of shit and, like, she still gets, like, straight roles. Um, And then some people don't, and they do have to stay in. And that, because their team are, like, because of the realities of, like, Hollywood and and all this stuff. So I did like that the show tried to, like, tackle that still. And it was was interesting watching a past perspective, a voice on, on this thought of whether you're out or not as someone and coming into your career and what that means. Right. Right. And like you said, it's, it's, it's still very, very relevant. Um, especially in the sports arena, um, where it's, it's interesting because I feel like people's sexuality is policed even more strongly in sports than I would say a lot of other sectors. Um, Mm -hmm. there's police, your sexuality, even policing your gender, you know, by now everyone's heard of like Castro Semenya and, she is intersex, but she didn't know that until she was well into adulthood. And they keep on trying to ban her from competing with women. Um, you know, outwardly she presents, uh, like her genitalia presents as woman, but she has a pair of internal testes that are active. And so they're like, no, that's not fair because it's an unfair advantage. But I'm like, sports is inherently unfair. 
we we classify by gender and weight um sometimes weight not all sports but like to try to keep it fair right but there's mm-hmm. always going to be someone who's taller than you stronger than you younger than you has a longer reach than you which is a big difference if you're like a swimmer or a fighter like a reach advantage like these are all unfair advantages <laughs> unless i'm fighting myself there is no such thing as fairness in sports mm-hmm. right. right right so it's it's one of those things where it's like even let's say someone comes out as gay people will use that as an excuse to like where you shouldn't be in locker rooms or showers with your, with the same gender. Right. Right. And that was a whole thing too. Like, Oh, they're gay. No, he's gay. He can't be in the showers with us. And it's one of those things that like, especially if you're playing a team sport, it's something that could completely destroy your career because when you don't have that support of your team, then like, what do you even have? Right, right. Like, it's so instrumental. You know, I think about, and it's like, and like everything, you know, in something that the show doesn't quite dive into, but I mean, thinking now that we're just sort of talking about it, it, context is everything, right? You know, I think about like, if you're in, like, you know, women, like maybe women coming out, it's probably a bit in, like women coming out in some, in some contexts, is a bit easier but in other contexts is really hard and it's the same with men like i think about like could an nba player like be like oh i'm gay like right right i think it'd probably be easier for like a tennis player for instance yeah. since we're on the subject to come out because you don't have a whole team um and you know a, you know like 30 different people's responses to deal with right it's kind of just you Right. Um, No, I totally get that. And I agree with that. And I think the sport also matters because I remember like, you know, Dennis Rodman, for example, one of the greatest NBA players of all time. He doesn't get his just deserved because, you know, queer phobia. But he was on the team and he was he was making it work. Um, And everybody on the team knew. But I'm like, would the team have had his back like that? Um, if he, a, he wasn't like one of the most talented players in the NBA period and B, if it was another sport, like, let's say a contact sport, like football, would they have been as understanding? Right. Exactly. No, like that's real. That's, that's really, really real. So like, if it's different when it's a sport where like, I don't have to touch you, you don't have to touch me for any reason, actually like touching you will disqualify you. Like basketball is not a contact sport. And I definitely think that that matters. Like the the situation, the context variables always, always matter. And, you know, it, looking back as a kid, like I remember horrible like caricatures drawn of him in the newspapers and stuff like that. And people would always make fun of all of his tattoos and piercings and, you know, his wacky hair colors. But as an adult, I realized how much courage it took to just be unapologetically yourself like that. As a black man, as a professional athlete in the NBA, with the world talking about literally nothing but your appearance. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. No, all of that. All of that. Um, So then speaking of like sort of entertainers and and public figures, let's let's talk about Kit for a bit. Kit. We love Kit. So she's Beth's half sister. They have the same father, but different mothers. Um, And Kit was a recording artist for many years, but she also dealt with substance abuse for many years. Um, Drugs, but mostly alcohol. Um, and you guys, Kit played by the iconic, and I know I use that word a lot, but truly the iconic, illustrious 
um, black historical figure, like one of the most important like public figures of our time, uh, Pam Greer. We love Pam Greer. She's iconic. And I think that um, she's an interesting character to have on this show because she's a straight black woman. So straight people are very, are like always like um, side characters on this show. She's probably the only person in the principal cast who's straight, which I also thought was like a great move writing wise. Um, Like if you're going to have a show about lesbians, let almost everyone we meet be gay or lesbian. Right, right. I mean, gay, gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Um, um, so even like a lot of the male characters we meet are gonna be gay. Um, but Kit's straight. And she's Beth's older sister, and she's trying to like get into a new uh, phase in her life. She hasn't exactly put her recording artist days completely behind her, but for the most part, she's like semi-retired from recording artists and that life because that life actually just fed her addictions. Right. It didn't, it, um, it just exacerbated, uh, you know, her problems. Um, also thanks to this like sort of kit storyline, there's an incredible episode with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Oh, on his yeah. little show. On his little show. Uh, Snoop Dogg is like acting like in, in, like in a really earnest way. <laughs> He's so cute. Like, we love it. We actually get to meet a couple of other musical talent talents, including like, um, you know, like really popular uh, indie um, lesbian artists through the Kit character. Because everywhere they go, people know her. Every 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 time someone drops her name, they're like, "Oh, Kit Porter's your sister." Um, so she's kind of like a big deal. I guess the Kit Porter character is supposed to be like a Shaka Khan type character. Yeah. Like if Shaka Khan had a substance problem, I guess that would be Kit Porter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's correct. That feels. It's that same type of music too that they both do is the same. Um, the age, the ages line up. So I guess, yeah, like, so even people who don't listen to this person's music know, know that name and they know this person's like a big deal. Um, Kit's an interesting character because throughout the show, she's just really trying her best to be like a good sister to Bet. Um, she, you know, she's giving like a good sister-in-law to Tina, a good, um, aunt later on to their daughter and really trying hard to mend her relationship with their father. Um, her father was always disappointed that she chose to be a recording artist, um, was always disappointed in the fact that she dealt with substance abuse. Um, and I really don't like their father because the show makes it very clear that he raised Bet, but he did not so much raise his black child, Kit. Right, right. <laughs> and that's like a weird, I mean... I don't know. I didn't do a lot of research into the writers of this show. Um, but I'm assuming, I like, I'm not going to make assumptions of, like, if they were white or not. But I, I didn't do a whole bunch of research into, like, the team behind the show. But choosing that particular storyline is very... It's just one of those things, like, like where you have to have the range to tell it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is actually so common, so, so, so common, where, you know, um, color-struck Black men will, you know, have 
father children with black women and then when they get on in their career or financially and they have access to women of other races that's when they decide to be good husbands and that's when they decide to be good fathers um and i like that there was no real resentment between bet and kit because obviously like that's not in either that wasn't in either of their control um but um I did think that uh, the the father character, well portrayed as he was, and he was portrayed by another like really really iconic black actor. I need to look this up real quick before I say the wrong name. As well portrayed as he was, um, I think the 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 character was well portrayed in like you know his 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 sort of like uh, treating his first daughter as like an option and his homophobia towards. Bet and Tina's relationship. Um, the Melvin character just wasn't a good person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Melvin Porter from The L Word was played by Ozzy Davis. Yeah. We love him. Um, Ozzy and Davis. Ozzy Davis are, is like a huge, 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 huge icon of Black film and television. But yeah, um, it's one of those situations where when he is older um, and like he's, he's becomes unwell and they have to take care of him. Bet's the one who ends up doing that. And I think that's only fair. Like, I know you didn't expect kid to take care of you. <laughs> it's only fair that the child you actually raised be the one to take care of you and tend to you. But um, obviously this is hard on Bet because the, her, her father's in this house being all hostile to her girlfriend. Right. Right. So, so how does season one end? Season one ends with my seasons blur together, you guys, because every time I watch the show, I binge it. Mm-hmm. So, um, give me a second. I believe season one ends with, um, uh, Tina finding out that Bet is a cheater who cheats. Um, Bet was cheating with Carmen, who is this like uh, carpenter who is working on the museum. Carmen's like gorgeous, like gorgeous, um, but like she's not even really checking for Carmen in a relationship sphere the way that Carmen's checking for her. She's just hot and heavy with this girl. Um, not Carmen, excuse me, Candace. Candace is the person she's cheating with. Um, uh, Tina finds out about this. Um, and it's really ugly. Tina actually, Bet actually forces herself on Tina. Yeah, I was about to say, like, that scene is so rough. Like, she's apologizing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then, like, Tina's like, get away from me. She literally says, get away from me, get away from me. No, 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 no. And Bet, like, essentially rapes her. Yeah, I mean, like, I think Tina at one point, like, kind of fights her off and then bites her. Yes, yes. She really put Tina through so much. And now, mind you, Tina's just fresh off a miscarriage at this point. Yeah. By season closing, everyone was dealing with their stuff as well. Tina has moved out. You know, Dana, uh, Alice has confessed her love for Dana, who's been dating Melissa Rivers at this point. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a very funny storyline. Shane was having an affair with this woman, Sherry Jaffe, this older married woman. 
married to a man, had a whole child. And that relationship ultimately ended because Sherry's daughter caught feelings for Shane as well. And then Sherry's husband found out what was going on. But like, it's very clear that this is the first time that Shane's ever really fallen for anybody, anybody. It, the, the whole situation is like really, really uncomfortable. But these are like the major plots of season one. Um, Tim, you know, after that little quickie wedding, they just, he's like, you know what? You just got to leave, Jenny. You got to move out. Like, I'm, I'm not even riding with you anymore. And she's shocked and stunned by this, although I don't know why she would be. <laughs> but, you know, um, Tim is like, you need to move out. You need to go. I can't have you here. I can't be with you anymore. Season one on Jenny's end ends with her just dating around. She starts dating Robin, this older lesbian. She starts dating Jean, this guy her own age. And she's kind of just like searching. That's her season one ending. She's just kind of searching and trying to find herself. Right. So, so season one, good, bad, basic. There was so much going on in season one. I honestly, looking back, they crammed so much into season one. But I'm going to give it a good. What about you? You know, yeah, I'm going to give it a good, too. You know, I like I like everything that the show is doing. Um, there's some, like, little stuff that, like, there are some plots that are kind of, like, weird that I don't understand. Like, um, what's his face? Who's, like, a le- who, who's identifying as a lesbian man? Lisa. 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 Lisa is, Lisa is, Lisa's a guy who identifies as a lesbian so he identifies as a woman attracted to women so i don't know if this means that lisa is non-binary or lisa is our actual first trans character yeah that's the only thing that i was hung up on like i think because i was like wait is this a con like but then we learn it later that it's not right not yeah yeah like we learn later that like no like lisa's being like mad earnest um because I think Lisa has sex with Alice, and yes, Lisa's so very actually rape. <laughs> Let's talk about that. That was actually <laughs> right. Lisa's really hook up, and Lisa's like, you know, and Alice is just trying to get some dick, literally. And <laughs> and then and then Lisa's like, I don't, I don't use that. I don't do that. Like, literally, does not use her penis during sex. And then Alice's like, What do you mean? You're a man. You have a dick. Use it. And she basically just. Sits on Lisa's dick and gets herself off without his permission and with his expressed, um, expressedly telling her no, not to do this before she went ahead and did it. Right. And Lisa's very upset after the encounter, like very angry. Yeah. Never speaks to Alice or anyone in that group actually ever again. Ever again. Um, so she's traumatized this person in a really major way. Um, Lisa's actually played by, um, uh, Devin, what's his face from My So Called Life, which was really interesting because I hadn't, I'd only seen him in that show and like one episode of Felicity. Seeing him play this character was super interesting because I thought the same as you when I first encountered the Lisa character. I'm like, oh, that's just a straight man trying to con lesbians into letting him in their space. Yeah, that's what I totally thought. It was, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a con. Like, I'm, I'm gonna know any, any time now that it's a con. <laughs> like, even. Even how the encounter starts feels like the like the end of a long ass con. <laughs> like <laughs> Right, right, right. But then the whole situation with Alice made it very clear, like, no, he's not just telling the world 
or she's not just telling the world that, you know, they're a lesbian. Like, Lisa actually feels and wants to behave as someone with, um, you know, who was, who was a lesbian. And right. so that situation t- said so much about, like, gender roles, gender identity, sexual expectations, and, of course, consent. Right. I really think that the 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 uh, the lesbians on the show were not very accepting of trans people. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Yeah. And I mean and that's probably that's going to be definitely one of my critiques later is that like there's a lot of trans women missing mm-hmm. from the show in general. Um mm-hmm. and I feel like that just speaks to but I think that speaks to the time this was written and and that's why um, this show has like another iteration. There's like a new, there's called, it's like the L word generation Q. Or something yeah. Yeah. That's yeah currently that's airing. Like, it's not even that there were no trans women on the show. It's that, or I mean, unless Lisa was one. Um, but like the characters on the show who are cis are very transphobic. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, it's written in as like, it's written in such a way that obviously the writers feel that way because it's not illuminated as transphobia. It's illuminated as like, just like a natural thought process. Right. 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 So let's get into season two. Two. Yeah. Season two, it's five months since season one. Unbeknownst to Bet, Tina is pregnant. Bet is still fucking Candace the Carpenter, by the way. (laughs) But she's like, I miss Tina. I'm still going to eat Candace's pussy every night. But I miss Tina. I'm going to drop myself in alcohol. But I miss Tina. Um, She ultimately ends this affair five months later in series open when after, you know, you know, like it's been the five months plus the time when she was screwing Candace behind Tina's back. So several months now. Now she realizes that Tina's the person she wants to be with for the rest of her life. So she ends things with Candace and literally the next morning, and she says this because, because Tina asks her, when did you end things with Candace? And she's just like, last night. (laughs) (laughs) She ends things with Candace. And after, you know, making wild, passionate love with Candace all night, she's like, it's been real girl. I'm going to go get Tina. And so the very next morning, she shows up at the planet talking about, Tina, I want you back, girl. I just want you back. Um, So that's really, really weird. And none of Tina's friends notice that she's pregnant, which is also very strange. I feel like it's only on TV where you don't, like, you can hide a pregnancy from the friends that you see every single day. (laughs) Right. It's like, if you're, you know, swelling... If you're not, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're swelling to the side, if there's like a, like a person growing in your, your uterus, I would hope that I notice. (laughs) Right. At the very least, I'm going to ask, you know, are you healthy? Like, if, is there a health concern? Cause like, if I can only tell in your face and you can definitely tell in Tina's face, then I'm just going to be like, you know, are you sleeping well? Is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? But like everybody just thinks that Tina's fine. And anytime Tina's angry or has mood swings, I guess they chalk it up to bet being a dick to her. (laughs) Um, But we also meet in that first season a character who's going to be here for all of this season, all of next season. And that is Carmen. 
Carmen is a DJ played by the beautiful Sarah Shahai, and she becomes Shane's primary love interest for these next two seasons. Yup, yup, good old Carmen. Carmen is a girl that we thought would lock it down with Shane, but, and we'll talk about this in season three, that ends up not being the case, but Carmen is really the girl who gives Shane a run for her money. I feel like if Sherry Jaffe had never happened, Carmen could have been the one. Mm, interesting. I, I see it. I see it. It's a vibe. Like, the energy is crazy to the point where, like, Shane is, like, this This is too intense. Like, they have a hookup. They hook up, like, once or twice. And then Shane is like, this is too intense. I can't do this. So, um, Carmen actually starts dating Jenny just to stay close to Shane. Like, mm-hmm. physically close to Jane. To, to, to Shane. Like, because Jane and 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 and... Shane and Jenny are roommates. And so, like, while Carmen's fucking Jenny, like, (laughs) Shane is, like, one door over. (laughs) Right. Carmen and Jenny was such an awkward situation because it was so clear that, like, Jenny was into her and Carmen was just, like, biding her time until Shane came around. I know. And that hurt to me. (laughs) Don't bring other people into your weird, intense love triangle stuff. It was so, so weird. Um, but, like, you know, I'll give a shout out to this show. Even with the most awkward couples, like, if there's any level of chemistry, like, a Z, like there's, like, a point one chemistry, the sex scenes are always really well choreographed. The consent, the consensual ones, are always really well choreographed. I agree with that. Yeah, um, but that happens in this season. And Tina, when she realizes she's pregnant, goes to a really popular uh, lesbian lawyer named Joyce Wishnia. This lawyer is played by the very popular Jane Lynch. She played the uh, cheerleading coach on Glee. Mm-hmm. And she goes to her and she's like, listen, I need to separate from Bet because they're kind of like common law married at this point. And all of their assets are combined because Tina played herself. She played herself like a lot of women, gay or straight, play themselves. Baby, you're not married unless you're married. That's true. (laughs) Don't Don't be like merging assets or going half on bills with people you're not married to. So now they need, she needs this woman's help for dissolution of assets, and she wants uh, sole custody of the child that she's carrying. Mm. Um, this obviously becomes a problem for Bet because she's the one who procured the uh, sperm. She's the one who, you know, paid for all the doctor's appointments. This was her idea. And so then Bet is like, you know what? Actually, no, I want full custody because um, uh, uh, Tina doesn't know how to raise a biracial child. <laughs> right no and that's that's mm, yep i mean points were made points are made very solid point that um you know a white a white parent who's going to go on to have a very white life probably isn't the best steward of a biracial child but that was a low blow because you knew that you know she was going to be the mother if you felt that strongly about it you were going to you would have carried the child and secondly biracial or not the child is her biological child so she's really trying to make a case for taking her ex-girlfriend's biological child right right it's it's ugly 
it's, it's rough. So ugly, you guys. And everything that happens post breakup actually reveals more and more how controlling and possessive Bet is. So many of the things that she does when she cannot get Tina back are to basically paint put, put Tina in a corner and like legally or financially in order to force Tina's hand and bring Tina back home. It's so straight male energy. <laughs> I was about to say, like, it's big straight male energy. Like, big, big, big. Like, it's so bad, you guys. It's so, so bad. And it gets worse for Tina because then this lawyer, Joyce, hits on her. Her lawyer hits on her, you guys. She can't catch a break. Poor Tina. She's just going through it. Going through it. But then she meets Helena Peabody. Um gorgeous, wealthy, connected. And um, besides the cheating, she has all of the control issues that Bet has. <laughs> so Tina clearly is attracting a type. Clearly she's attracting a type. Tina is also a mother. Um, her partner, her ex-wife, had their two children and um, who she's currently fighting for custody for. And now she's in this relationship with Tina and she's already future planning. She's already like, we're going to move in. I'm, I'm going to adopt this child that you're carrying. I'm going to take care of you. She has even more money than Bet ever had because she's old money, white generational wealth, okay? Um, and they make it clear that, like, the Peabody Foundation, the Peabody Awards, which are very real awards, by the way, that's her family. Right, and that's, that's a big deal. So just like Bet is trying to, like, finagle her finances and her connections to bring Tina home, uh, Helena is manipulating hers to try to secure a relationship with Tina as well. And so they're both like really trying to tell Tina what to do and control her life and control her decisions. Ultimately, she chooses Bet, which honestly she shouldn't. She shouldn't have chosen either of these hosts because <laughs> they're both <laughs> trifling. They're both trifling. But she chooses Bet because she's in love with Bet. Like that's all there is to it. Tina's in love with Bet. And for the duration of the series, she is in love with Bet in some form or fashion. Don't you hate to see that shit when like somebody hate can't get free? She just can't get free. Um, Bet has a hold on her, like, period. Um, even when they're seeing other people, she's still thinking about Bet. And um, the reverse is shown to be true. The difference is even when Bet has Tina, she doesn't always treat Tina right. Like, you know, Tina's not a perfect person. She really isn't. But she tries so hard with Bet in a way that Bet doesn't feel she has to try with her. Like, Bet's just like, I'm here. I'm amazing. I have an amazing job, an amazing career. I make good money and I take care of you. Why isn't that enough? Right. She does not try on an emotional sphere. And she definitely is not here for monogamy, although she wants Tina to be monogamous to her. <laughs> Which is so violent. <laughs> like... So violent. It's so, so ugly. It's so, 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 so ugly. Because it's like, it's it's just controlling. It's super controlling in nature. And, and it's fucked up. And, um, but I will say, like, that aspect is something I, um, of this show, of, like, the show sort of not being afraid to make these lesbian characters, like, really fucked up. I enjoyed it. Although, like, I don't think the show... Although, like, I go back and forth on whether this show is trying to communicate that to me or not, or if that, like, they want that to be my takeaway. Mm -hmm. um, I do, I did enjoy it, because I liked that it ran, it gave, 
it made these characters full um, in a way that I think sometimes when we're seeing marginalized people on screen for the first time, we're, we're afraid to make them full in the ways that matter. Right, exactly this. And I think, like I said earlier about the casting, the fact that all of our primary characters and like 90% of the supporting cast are all queer characters helps with this, right? If these, the, if lesbians were a minority on the show and you had the minority of characters acting this way, then it would just be like punching down, right? Mm-hmm. But because they are the the entire principal cast and they're the majority of the supporting characters and we're, we're in this bubble of queer women, then it's just writing complex characters. And that's the difference. Right. I agree. I agree. Like it, it, it does. Like when you're, when you're, when, yeah, when the whole show is, is queer women and then you can just sort of focus on making these people's personality and, and how they act accordingly. It, it makes it, it, it just helps. It helps to, to clean all this sort of other stuff up that can be tricky. Um, so season two, how does season two end? Well, season two, uh, a lot happens. Obviously, like I said, Bet and Tina ultimately get back together. Um, Dana was dating a woman named Tanya, played by Melissa Rivers this entire time, who's just like, who's just like basically manager slash girlfriend. She doesn't really care about Dana. She likes Dana's status and that's what makes her horny. (laughs) (laughs) And she's very controlling and like, like Dana was full on engaged to her. Okay. But Alice pushes her to break up with Tanya. Alice and Dana have this really heated affair. They probably like in a show where there's great chemistry all around, Alice and Dana probably have like top tier chemistry top tier you guys um i see um uh shane and uh you know carmen decide to stop playing these these foolish games and just be together um and uh dana finds out that her little brother is gay so that's a cute little thing they go to pride together um see what happens when you're in the closet Uh, someone else in your family might be waiting for you to come out of the closet ijs Mm -hmm. um um and uh, Kit and uh, Kit and Bet's father Melvin dies, um, but yeah, that's essentially how season two ends. Um, um, but you know, like I said, Alice and Alice and Dana ultimately don't last very long. They're together while Dana's with Tanya, and then Dana quickly leaves. <laughs> Dana quickly leaves Alice for Lara. So Alice is going through it. Like she's, she was madly in love with Dana. So she's going through it. This was her best friend for many years. They finally got into a relationship and then she gets swiftly dumped. So that's hard. And in season two, we also find out that Shane and Jenny's roommate, Mark is a predator who's been spying on them and had cameras in every room in the house oh yeah that part that part was horrible literally the only room that didn't have a camera was the bathroom you guys like he wasn't interested in seeing them take a shit but he was watching everything and he was justifying it to himself by calling it like science and a documentary when it was really just like an invasive skin yeah he's a creep 
one of the best scenes with Jenny is actually when she confronts Mark and ultimately shames him. And there's this line where she says, I want you to ask your sisters the first time they've been invaded upon. When was the first time that they were invaded upon by a man? And he's like, why do you think they, they have been? Why are you saying when instead of if? And she's like, they're women. Every woman has been invaded upon by a man. Just ask when. <laughs> right, right. And that's real shit. Like, it's, it's such a great moment. Because even if he had a clap back after what you've done, you can't. Because you did this. You invaded upon a group of women without consent, without knowledge. And you you call yourself a good guy, right? I'm right. one of the good He thought he was a good person. Right, right. That's so, right. And only to find out that you aren't. So, um, season two, good, bad, or basic. I thought season two was actually quite good. Better than season one. I'm going to mm. give it that. Like, it, mm. it just had an extra layer of drama that my basicness really likes. And I really like this, you know, this expose of um, the predatory and entitled straight man. That was interesting to watch. The man that thinks that lesbians exist for their consumption that we were just talking about. Mark is literally that type. <laughs> right, right. No, I agree. I would also give this season a good. I think that this season was a way more cleaner than the previous one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. In terms of, like, story and plotting and pacing, I think it just sort of got to the point just a bit, like, better. Not, I wouldn't say necessarily quicker, just better. It felt like they really understood these characters more and, like, leaned into that, which is always a good sign. And, um, and yeah, that's that's where I'm at. For, yeah, for season same. two. Um, so let's talk about season three very quickly. Um, right. Season three, Bet and Tina are back together. They've got this baby girl, Angelica. She's adorable. She's very cute. They love her very much. Um, they're living together again. Everything goes well. And it's it's well on their end for now anyway. Dana has left Alice. She's back with Laura, or to me, not Laura, Lara, her ex-girlfriend, who's like this, uh, a chef. Lara's a very sweet girl, and I've, I've, like, I don't have a bad thing to say about Lara, but man, watching Alice after this breakup with Dana was heart-wrenching for me. Yeah? Watch this? Yeah, the, so the first, like, information that nobody asked for. The first time I watched this, I had just come off a breakup. So I'm watching this. Oh. I'm broken up with. She broken up with. We both look in a mess. Don't know the last mm. time we washed our hair. <laughs> Stalking the ex's social media. It was just too relatable. <laughs> oh, it was, no. It was too relatable, you guys. It was so hard. And Leisha Haley really delivers as this. Because she fluctuates between, like, anger, hostility, grief, and denial throughout. Like, I'm so angry. I'm so upset. This is the hardest thing I've ever got to, had to go through. And Dana's going to come back to me. Like, she's fluctuating between all of these. And um, watching her breakup was really, really hard. Especially, like, Dana's loved up, you guys. Dana and Laura are such a good couple. Like, there's no toxic energy. There's no toxic vibes. They're just so chill. They're a really, really great couple. And... Speaking of couples, Carmen and Shane, like, Carmen wants Shane to meet her family, but her family doesn't know that she's gay. So she has Shane act as her straight girlfriend. Now, I don't know who in the history of who 
would look at Shane and think straight woman, but Karma's trying to pull a fast one on her Mexican family. Um, she really is because Shane does not give off that energy in the slightest. She did. She doesn't. You know, I talked about that show Young Americans earlier, and Catherine Monig's character was in a relationship with Ian Somerhalder's character. And they were cute, but I never fully bought it. And the only reason that character was believable was because she played a character named Jack, who was a girl posing as a boy in order to attend an all-boys prep school. Well, damn. (laughs) That's the only way she was able to sell that character. But that whole relationship between these two, I'm like, they just look like siblings right now. Like, real talk. (laughs) (sighs) Because they both have, like, dark hair and blue eyes. So I'm just like, y'all just really look like siblings right now. Maybe a little too close siblings, but I'm not buying this. We're so passionate about each other energy. Um, <laughs> but she she brings Shane to her family. And I think her mother suspects. I think every good, attentive parent will know their child's sexual orientation without having to be told. But she's one of those parents, like, until you tell me, I'm just going to stay in the realm of denial. <laughs> Mm, right. She, she doesn't want to believe it, but I really feel like the more I watch these episodes, I feel like Carmen's mother knows, and it's one of those things. She, it's like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Like, please don't ever tell me this. But deep down, I know. <laughs> right, right, right. I agree with that. Like, because her daughter's twenty six. People, she's never brought a man home. She's beautiful, so she knows. Like, she knows what her daughter looks like. She knows like dudes are looking at her daughter. <laughs> She knows dudes are trying to holler at her daughter, but she's never brought a man home, never had a boyfriend, never da 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 da. But you know, you're bringing home these these gal pals for Sunday dinner, <laughs> right? And I and I guess I'm just supposed to think they're your hashtag special friend, <laughs> right? Right? We're just gals being pals. Um, so she tries to get Carmen to act straight, and like Carmen's family really likes Shane, but. The mom, like I said, I feel is in the now. And the sister, I feel like genuinely doesn't know that Carmen is gay. <laughs> like, right. she's, the sister's married and she's got kids. And I think she's in her own little bubble. I think she genuinely doesn't know that Carmen is gay. And so they like her. They like this portrayal of her. Um, meanwhile, also in the season opener, Jenny, this, Jenny, who had gone home briefly to her mother and stepfather, comes back to L.A. with her new butch girlfriend, Moira, who later... Yep. Um, comes out as transgender and goes by Max. Yep. So yep. all of that happens in season one, you guys. And um, <laughs> it's it seems like a lot, but it honestly really does set the tone for the rest of the season in a really good way. Right. Um, absolutely. So I, is there anything from season three that like stands out to you that like you that you wanted to talk about in particular? So there's this episode see in uh episode three called lobsters and this is when the group meets moira um there he's uh max is still going by moira at this time for the first time and you know for the most part everyone in the group is femme um except for shane who i guess would be like neutral Mm -hmm. um max is like the first stud that we see in this group right Mm -hmm. and moira's from the uh, max is from the moira's also from the midwest and uh, probably doesn't have as much money as them. Like, more is a computer programmer. So, decent living. Nothing super affluent. Doesn't dress like them. Doesn't talk like them. And throughout the dinner, a lot of the girls, especially Alice and Bette, 
are making these like really snide, passive aggressive remarks to Moira or just um, questions that are like, they're inquisitive, but they're simultaneously insulting. And she makes this like, she makes this little monologue about lobsters and how when lobsters are being boiled, instead of climbing out of the boiling water themselves, they actually pull down the other lobsters. Mm-hmm. Um, which seeks to kind of like put everybody in their place and shame them for their behavior without actually calling anybody out directly. Mm-hmm. And this is when I knew that Moira Sash Max is going to be one of my favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this character from start to finish. And Max is going through it too. We'll talk about that in the back half. But I knew that I would really, really love this character and I would really enjoy this character. Um, We meet the Angus character this season. We didn't need another straight white man, but they gave us one. (laughs) We meet the Angus character who's like super attracted to Kit. Um, You know, uh, we meet, uh, Tina starts cheating on Bet this season with men. With men, you guys, she starts cheating with this guy in in this uh, chat room um, and ultimately leaves Bet to be with this uh, straight white male father of one. And honestly, like, I I don't hate Tina for doing that because, like, I feel like if I was Bet, like, I would be offended by that personally. Yeah, um, I'm not mad at Tina for what she did, but I honestly feel like that was long overdue. Um, and it's not even that I feel like this guy is a great guy or whatever. Like, he's just a dude. He's just a white dude. It's whatever. But I, looking back on this episode, I honestly feel like Tina started chatting up this dude in the chat room. Instead of just going out and meeting him, she was building, like, up this emotional rapport. Because Bet still hadn't changed. And even the audience could see that. She still wasn't meeting Tina's emotional needs. And what is even the point of having being in a relationship with a woman, if I'm still being emotionally deprived. Right. Um, and, and that's definitely something I was going to, was going to speak to. It's like, yeah, like what was like, I, she definitely builds up that, that chat room report because she, she's trying to free herself. I think emotionally from bet, like, cause even though maybe like physically she's, um, not invested anymore. Emotionally, she was still deeply invested, and and she's she was just trying to fix that. Right, right, and it's like, you know, Tina's not someone. The show shows that Tina's not someone to get into things casually. Um, so I think she wanted that option as well because maybe she realized that if Beth's personality hadn't changed in so far as, you know, emotionally, how getting her emotional needs met, then it would probably be only a matter of time before Bet had another affair. Right. And if, she, and she didn't want to put herself through that, like all over again. Right. Right. And so I'm not mad that she, I mean, I feel like she could have found someone a little less basic, <laughs> but they, they, they had things to bond over, right there. they they both had children, um, things of that nature. Um, he had like a little boy, Mikey, and she has Angelica. And it's like, I wish she hadn't cheated, but like I said, Ben really has a hold on her. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to break herself from this woman. Um, and then of course there's Helena. Helena starts dating a documentary filmmaker named Dylan Moreland, who essentially only starts dating Helena so that she can then accuse her of sexual harassment 
and get some of the Peabody money, which was so ugly. Yeah. So ugly, you guys. So ugly. <laughs> Yo, and like Helena really caught feelings for this woman. She's like, but I thought you loved me. And she's like, you're cute. Obviously, you know, you're pretty, so it's not hard to fuck you. But also, I was just here for your money. And the worst part is Dylan's partner, a straight man, is the one who put her up to this. He literally pimped her out to Helena to try to grift Helena's money. Right, right, which was so crazy. Like, crazy pants, crazy banana pants. I'm just like, this is so nice. But, you know, also, you know, shout out to the show for for bringing up things that I probably wouldn't have thought about. Like, how hard must, must it be to be so affluent and have a notable family name and honestly not know if people are dating you for you or because of your money? Because, you know, Helen is smart and interesting and um, very, very, very beautiful. But, like, every time she says her name, you know, that it's a wrap. You don't know if someone's dating you or your money. Right. I mean, that's a, it's, that's a real-ass concern. Like, and so, you know, she feels taken advantage of. Um, Helen is an interesting person because she's not very jaded when it comes to, like, being suspicious of people she she falls hard and she always assumes that her partners feel the same way about her she never comes in with the thought process of oh this person might be trying to scam me this person might be trying to swindle me and it usually works out for her except in the case of this dylan woman right yeah yeah so spot on dylan is like you know that person um shane opens her salon wax this season and um after cheating with on Carmen with her ex Sherry Jaffe, um, she later um, proposes to Carmen. Now she proposes in a moment of grief because this is the season that Dana is diagnosed with breast cancer, and she dies. And Carmen proposes. Uh, Shane proposes to Carmen during this grieving period. Right, right, which was so wild, especially like after like a friend's death. Like, you always sort of wonder on that, but it was, yeah, yeah. It was weird. It was weird. The situation was weird, too, because when Dana was diagnosed with the breast cancer, she basically sent Lara packing. She was just like, go take the job in France. Get away from me. I don't want to be with you anymore. And Lara's like, please, I want to be here with you. I want to help you. And I guess, I don't know if it was out of love or out of pride. She didn't want Lara to see her that way. And she basically pushed Lara away. And then she calls up Alice. This is so weird. Alice ends up being her caretaker, and she tells Alice that Lara abandoned her. Which was like, uh What? <laughs> right? I was like, uh Like, you, she really th- tossed Alice aside without looking back. And then the moment she gets sick, and she's like, you know what? I don't want to put Lara through this. But you know who will take care of me? Alice. No. Ugh. It yep. was so weird. It was so weird. It was so weird. But Alice is a G. She co- she she never brought up how her Dana hurt her or their breakup or never threw anything in her face. Stood by her side, held her hand. And I think one of the worst scenes, best acting from Lisa Alicia Haley, but worst scenes to watch was how she went to the hospital gift shop. She ran into Dana's ex-fiance, Tanya. They had a little chat. She goes back up to Dana's room, and Dana's dead, and she didn't get to say goodbye. Ugh, which was so... I mean, when it happens, it's so devastating and heartbreaking. It was so hard to watch, but 
damn, she delivered. Honestly, Alicia Haley is one of the most slept on actresses. Like, I'm just going to say that right here. Um, the range, <laughs> the range. But right. um, when Dana dies, it hurts the group so badly. Obviously, she was a principal character. She was healthy. She was strong. She was young. And this hits everybody really hard because, you know, Dana's there and she's in her late 20s. So the breast cancer metastasized really, really quickly. And she was gone in a matter of months. Um, and like I said, this is when Carmen, this is when Shane proposes to Carmen. Carmen accepts. And Helena, being a really good friend and a very generous person, decides to throw Carmen and Shane a wedding. She throws Carmen and Shane this elaborate destination wedding, pays for the wedding, pays for everyone's trips, pays for Carmen's family, who basically uh, disowned her when she came out, to come out and be a part of her wedding day. Her mother, her sister shows up, her brother-in-law is there, everything's copacetic, and Shane, the season ends with Shane, who um, had reestablished contact with her deadbeat cheating father. Shane leaves Carmen at the altar. Ah, uh, hate it. First of all, you don't leave Carmen Pica de la Morales at the altar, okay? <laughs> You're not going to find another one like her. But she really left this girl at the altar. And the last we see of Carmen is in this season when Carmen's mother and sister take her crying in this wedding dress back home to L.A. Ugh. That's so awful. We never see her again. We never see her again. Even when Shane comes around in season three, tries to see her, her cousins don't even let her come knock on the door <laughs> and bother Carmen. And it's, honestly, those are real ones. I fuck with that. Real ones. Real ones. And I think Carmen knowing Shane the way that she did, when she realized the moment that she had been stood up. And everyone's like, call Shane, call Shane. And Carmen's like, nope, she's not coming. I know she's not coming. She, Carmen, and this is what happens to, to spark everything. This is a very like big carry moment where someone in your life is basically just pushes you to do the thing that you wanted to do. She meets her father again. Excellent casting, by the way. Uh, excellent casting. This dude actually does look like her dad um, who kind of like abandoned her. It turns out he had remarried. He had a whole family. She has a little brother. Um, and she's in the casino with her father and he picks up this waitress, this cocktail waitress and leaves with her. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, and he looks at her cause he knows she's a player too. And he's like, this, I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. I know you understand that. And she sees her father go off with this cocktail waitress leaving his wife. And that's when she, we see her make the decision to not show up for Carmen and she doesn't show up. Right. Letting, you know, letting other people's sort of, you know, behaviors and choices affect your own, which you should never do. It's fucked up. Don't um, do that. Don't, don't, do, do, that. don't do that. Uh, but yeah, and that's, that's a crazy way, way for that season to end. So, so season three, good, bad, basic. Oh, season three was very, very good. I think... I think uh, Catherine Modig, Leisha Haley, Sarah Shahai, and um, Lauren Holloman in particular give their best performances in this season. You know, same, 
Same. I think the performances are also... I'm going to give this season another really solid good. I think that, the for the most part, the storylines are coherent. These characters are still making decisions that feel, like, within their range of character. And, like, um, it's... And I like the the new cast members' additions. And I think it's it's just a generally... This is just a generally really strong show. Yeah, I like what you said about the new cast member integrations. I do think that, like, characters like uh, Max, characters like um, uh, Henry, which is, like, Tina's new boyfriend, um, and, of course, Helena and Helena's mom are well incorporated. Like, I don't think they take up too much more room than they need to, but they keep the storyline going. Right, right. Um... All in all, like, like I think I've told you, this is my first time watching The L Word. I knew that it was, like, a groundbreaking series when it first happened. Um, and it continues to be groundbreaking because there is, like, a new show that is currently airing uh, that's sort of, like, a continuation of this one, which is The L Word Generation Q. Um, and I haven't watched it yet, but I hear it was... I heard it was fine. Um... But this show has been cool. It's really interesting. You know, right now, in terms of, like, lesbian... Specifically, like, thinking about queer women and lesbian representation on screen, it's, like, there, but it's, like, sort of just, like... It's usually the B-plot to... <laughs> it's B-plots yeah. to to other sort of straight people. So it's it was really nice and cool, and I and I'm really enjoying sort of watching a show that's essentially, like... It, that kind of sort of feels like sex in the city, but like in, in a couple of ways, but, uh, completely, um, about just queer women. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting what you say about like lesbian representation. Cause I've seen so, so, so much lesbian cinema. I've seen so many movies about lesbians, but not many shows about lesbians. Right. Yeah, that's true. Lots of movies, lots of movies. Not a, not a lot of like, shows. The movies be low-key traumatic. I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe it doesn't always have to end in catastrophe or death. Just putting that out there for the writers. <laughs> um, um, but it's yeah. a lot of movies. It's a lot of movies. I don't see it a lot on television. And I think it's because, like you said, it's a B-plot. Because a lot of people don't know really what to do with lesbians on a TV show. Um, and I think the L word makes it clear that not having them be in straight people's orbit or making them a central part of straight people's lives is a better way to handle that dynamic, right? I mean, yes, yes. I, I mean, I think that um, that's definitely, that plays like a really big part, I think, about why this show is so interesting because it's like, they're they're not thinking about straight people like they like straight people in this show are very much like the b plot if they if they are there um and and that element of it really works it does and honestly it just makes more sense because i remember hearing this years ago was not hearing this seeing this years ago and because you know i'm straight it never really occurred to me but 
somebody was like, I'm tired of y'all showing like all of these straight kids with the one gay best friend. A gay person is not going to hang out solely with straight people. Um, like if anything, you're going to be the token friend to that gay person. Like a gay person's not going to feel safe. Um, like socially having only straight friends. And it never occurred to me because that's all I've ever seen in media that like the straight boy has all of these, um, the the gay boy has all these straight girlfriends or like he all of his friends are like straight guys and he's like the one token straight gay friend you know or like the gay girl has no lesbian friends all of her friends are straight women mm-hmm. and i was like and they're like this portrayal is completely unrealistic right because you're gonna because you're gonna find people who you can be in community with right that's just natural um right. And, and if you don't, and if you don't, you're most likely not going to come out to that group, right? Like, if you're the gay friend in the group, it's going to be like you're the closeted gay friend in the group, right? Or you're the, or you're the friend who doesn't make a big deal, who quote unquote doesn't make a big deal out of their gayness, which that isn't it either. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like you know, it's 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 nothing. I mean, I they're trying to do something similar to this on that Netflix series, Dairy Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, where you have like the lesbian friend who they don't make a big deal out of it, but that's because like this is a character they grew up with. They've known each other since they were like babies. But like, I also feel like this is the writer's way in particular of not giving her a girlfriend, and we need to see it. I would like her to have a girlfriend, please. <laughs> right. And and when I say like the 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 lesbian or like the gay or the queer character who like doesn't make a big deal out of the queer character, it's usually like I don't mean that like in a positive way. It's like um, it's, it's similar to like, oh, you're not, oh, you're one of like the good Negroes or like, you're one of like the, yeah, the queers yes. who, like, it's, it's in that way. That's like, well, you're not really being your authentic self or you're not like having a chance to understand like what your authentic self is because like in reality, these people don't actually accept you. Um, which I guess is another one of those sort of nuanced things. Um, but, but I like it. And, and I think, and I'm excited to to finish finish this show out. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of the L word good bad, basic, and so incredibly sexy. If you'd like to check out the series, The L Word is currently streaming on Hulu. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share with your friends. And if you're a member of our Patreon, be sure to check out The L Word playlist if you haven't already. Tune in next week as we keep the strong female lead season going with part two of our discussion on this game-changing series. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, The Bad, The Basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to follow and tune in to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our weekly episodes debut. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron over on Patreon. 
you can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time bye everyone